0: From all the president's men to network to this year's spotlight, crusading journalists and cutthroat executives, the power of the press in movies and on TV shows lives on. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Is that really your idea of how to run a newspaper? I don't know how to run a newspaper, Mr. Thatcher. I just try everything I can think of. I'm Bob
1: Woodward of the Washington Post. Mr. Markham, are you here in connection with the Watergate burglary?
0: All remote standby, please. This okay, we're going to George. So, Say, the F-14 is one of the, right oh, the F-14 one of the most difficult planes to master. Executive
1: producer.
0: The China Syndrome. It's about people, people who lie, and people faced with the agony of telling the truth. Right. Okay. People like Kimberly Wells. A television reporter paid to smile, not to think. Cambodia. To many Westerners, it seemed a paradise. Another world, a secret world. But the war in neighboring Vietnam burst its borders, and the fighting soon spread to neutral Cambodia. In 1973, I went to cover this sideshow struggle as foreign correspondent of the New York Times. Well, well, well. Ron Burgundy, the Channel 4 News team. Where's your mommy? You back off, evening news team. Hi, thanks for tuning in. I'm Christina Yerling-Biru. Journalism plays a big part in the movie and TV lineup this fall. There's a lot of Oscar buzz around Spotlight, starring Michael Keaton and Rachel McAdams, about the Boston Globe investigation into the child sexual abuse scandal within the Catholic Church. And Truth, starring Kate Blanchett and Robert Redford, as producer Mary Mapes and Dan Rather, about the CBS 60 Minutes report into President Bush's military service, a report that cost careers. In television, Amazon has a new show, The Good Girls Revolt, a newsroom drama inspired by real events that took place at Newsweek and the sexist working conditions of journalism in 1969. Grace Gummer, Meryl Streep's daughter, stars as the legendary journalist Nora Ephron. And in the new fall show, Supergirl, Kara, of course, follows in the footsteps of other superheroes working in a newspaper. Well, in this case, a media conglomerate. Not surprisingly, this trend is fine by me. I adore the journalism genre, both the flattering and unflattering portrayals of reporters and their subjects. The machine gun dialogue of His Girl Friday. The crusading journals of all the president's men and the China Syndrome. Billy Wilder's Ace in the Hole with some of the best dialogue in film, period. Citizen Kane seemingly predicting the fall of newspapers and the thrill of getting press access to the band in Almost Famous. The comedies Anchorman, Groundhog Day, and Trainwreck. And what about the movies about the cynical TV newsrooms where TV ratings bring out the worst? The classics like Network, Broadcast News, and last year's thriller Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Network is the subject of an excellent book by author Dave Itzkoff, who's also a culture reporter for The New York Times. In the book, The Making of Network and the Faithful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies, David Skoff writes about Paddy Chayefsky, the tough, Oscar-winning screenwriter whose vision of the news media seems almost prophetic today. The blurred lines between news and entertainment, the rise of reality television, the ratings craze. Faye Dunaway played the ruthless UBS executive Diana Christensen and William Holden executive Max Schumacher and Peter Finch, the unhinged anchorman Howard Beale, called the mad prophet of the airwaves, whose rebel yell on air, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore, is stuff of journalism movie legend and made network a sensation. And now, the distinguished television news commentator, Mr. Howard Beale. Ladies and gentlemen... I would like at this moment to announce that I will be retiring from this program in two weeks' time because of poor ratings. Since this show was the only thing I had going for me in my life, I have decided to kill myself. I'm going to blow my brains out right on this program a week from today. What the hell's going on? Prepare yourself for a perfectly outrageous motion picture. I started by asking Mr. Itzkoff why he thinks we and the filmmakers are so drawn to the journalism genre. Well, I, I think
1: that you know, in in general, I mean, there's there's just a sort of uh... a kind of category of screenwriters and dramatists that are just really drawn to uh... news people, to newspaper reporters, television reporters and anchors there's just something about that world, it's kind of there's something almost binary about how these characters tend to be depicted, that they're either these kinds of uh... you know crusaders, who people who are motivated by the truth and wanting to bring truth to life or they're totally corrupt and that they have, they, they understand that they have this kind of power to create perception and, you know, dictate to a wide audience, you know, what they think of the world. And then, and then they completely uh, abuse that. And there is, there is something really uh, rich uh, about that kind of an idea, particularly as we, you know, I think the, the sort of the man on the street today is so, the person on the street, the woman on the street, everyone We're so much more aware of how we have access to media and how the sort of, the citizen reporter in a way can become as powerful as, uh, you know, a, a television network or a broadcaster in, in the right moment and that, that's such a huge uh, responsibility and, and so it, it just, I think there's, there's just endless ways to kind of reinvent that wheel.
0: Network turns 40 in 2016, and it's a pretty amazingly prophetic portrait of television and media. What are some of the things from the movie that you've seen come true?
1: Well, I think the most prominent, uh, the most sort of uh, obvious and ubiquitous is is the way that, you know, the lines between uh, what was considered television news and television entertainment uh, have been completely obliterated. That's, that's what the Faye Dunaway character is sort of warning uh, throughout the movie she's an entertainment executive she develops uh, you know cop dramas and sitcoms and she's the one who's warning Max Schumacher the uh, the news president that she's going to take over uh, his side of the channel and that's essentially what she does the American people are turning sullen they've been clobbered on all sides by Vietnam Watergate the inflation the depression they turned off shot up and they fuck themselves limp and nothing helps so. This concept analysis report concludes the American people want somebody to articulate their rage for them. I've been telling you people since I took this job six months ago
0: that I want angry shows. I don't want conventional programming on this network. I want counterculture. I want anti-establishment. I don't want to play butch boss with people. But
1: when I took over this department, it had the worst programming record in television history. This network has not one show in the top 20. This network is an industry joke. And we better start putting together one winner for next September. I want a show developed based on the activities of a terrorist group. This realization that, you know, news was once this uh, sort of protected, hallowed uh, uh, field on television. That it was meant to just share information with people. It wasn't meant to drive ratings or necessarily even turn a profit. And that once... Uh, TV news divisions uh, had to be profitable and had to chase uh, ratings, they became indistinguishable from entertainment content.
0: There's that amazing scene where one of the staffers is pitching to her and just saying all these cliches which ring true today, like we need the crusty and benign character, the attorney, the lady cops, the brilliant and beautiful fighting for feminism on the floor. I mean, that just rings so true even of the cliches today on TV.
1: Exactly. It's so funny that you know, in an era forty years ago when you only had three broadcast networks and you know no cable television to speak of, that those were sort of the the, the tired, tried and true formats. And it's it's no it's no different now, given that you know you have you know uh, you know not only hundreds of cable channels, but also you know all the. Uh, digital uh, streaming uh, channels that that's basically people can't seem to think of more than four or five different kinds of ways to uh, tell a story on television. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) Writer-director Aaron Sorkin, he thanked Mr. Chayefsky when he won the Oscar for Social Network. He was a big influence on him as a writer. And Sorkin said regarding your book, I believe this is the first thing written about Patty Chayefsky that Chayefsky would actually have liked. What do you think he meant? Well,
1: I think he's being very uh, kind and, and generous say that i mean i think more to the point i mean you know chayefsky was a very uh idiosyncratic uh person i mean part of what made him i think so attuned to what what was going on in his world at the time not just only in media but in society was that he was you know he was kind of uh you know i guess you'd call him a a curmudgeon or a dyspeptic uh personality i mean he you know i mean he was a very uh loving man and funny man but i think also he uh was deeply, deeply cynical about the times that he lived in and really believed, I mean genuinely believed that, you know, things were just getting worse in every arena, everywhere he looked in, you know, national politics, global politics, the Mideast uh, was a big concern to him uh, and that of course, that of course got solved soon after, but in his day it was a big uh, problem. Uh, That, you know, that just all these, he saw all these powder kegs everywhere and really saw... Uh, no solutions to these kinds of problems. And I think it really uh, preyed on his mind in a way that he felt he had a certain uh, responsibility as a screenwriter and as a dramatist to kind of, you know, grab people by their lapels and make them, uh, you know, pay attention to what these problems that that he saw. But it's
0: funny, though. I was thinking with um, Sorkin and Chayefsky, network is just so different from newsroom. Good evening. I'm Will McAvoy. This is Newsnight. I'm beginning this newscast by apologizing to the American people for the failure of this program during the time I've been in charge of it. The reason we failed isn't a mystery. We took a dive for the ratings. I'm quitting the circus and switching teams.
1: I'm going with the guys who are getting creeped. I think that they had very different aims. I think if anything, uh, I mean, Newsroom was uh, at least at its outset or from a, at its inception, I think I think it was meant to be a more sort of uh, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily optimistic, but a more sort of uplifting uh, take, or a more it was it was a kind of uh, wish fulfillment that if I you know if a dramatist or a screenwriter was creating the sort of perfect news channel where people acted out of uh, you know altruism and a, a belief in the truth that I mean it would it would still run into lots of uh, you know moral and practical dilemmas, but that's what it would essentially look like on on the newsroom whereas in network it's it's the complete opposite it's every you know every shortcut is being taken every uh you know everyone is is compromised in some way everyone is almost literally in bed with uh, with somebody else uh so and, and that so that leads to different results
0: it's also Stephen colbert's favorite movie why well i think that if you just look at at his uh,
1: at Colbert's body of work, that's, that, that's sort of, particularly in the era when he was hosting the Colbert Report on Comedy Central, that, I mean, that's very much the idea that, that he was playing with, no matter, no matter what they were making fun of on a given night, because it was all being channeled through that Colbert uh, persona at the time, that kind of uh, you know, uh, fake conservative commentator character uh, that, you know, he, he was very much playing with that same idea of, you know, the meaning of the news, what we assume are objective facts that can change dramatically depending on who the person is that's delivering it. That's certainly one of the uh, sort of themes of, of network. As we see uh, the Howard Beale character played by Peter Finch become more and more popular but also grow more and more insane. We know as audience members we're watching a person who is literally you know, losing his mind and yet becoming uh, more attuned to his audience and becoming just gaining a wider viewership. There's such a disconnect there and that's sort of that's the area that Colbert was playing in. I mean he was talking to an audience that knew what he was making fun of, and yet if you if you weren't in on the joke or you just looked at the words, sort of literally, that he was delivering as they were written, they would they would seem very different. He would seem very sincere uh, about what he was saying, even though it was all done with a wink and a nod.
0: One of the things I think is excellent is your book is is all the, the descriptions and stories of, of Faye Dunaway and, and, and the <laughs> women and that, but I, I wanted to talk, because her character, I, I See it a little bit in Rene Russo's character in, in Nightcrawler as oh, well. Absolutely. You yeah, would agree, yeah. Agree. Sort of these women of of the newsroom. Is there a trope of this of the powerful women in positions of power in in newsrooms? Oh,
1: I, th- I mean, you certainly do see it in the fictional portrayals, and and I mean, it's interesting. First of all, in terms of how Traevsky developed the character that Faye Dunaway plays, Diana Christensen, because in sort of earlier versions of the screenplay you know, he recognized that there had to be a kind of a, a romance uh, in the story somewhere and the, the, the female character that he created originally was very conventional and meant to be uh, a kind of young idealist who would fall in love with, uh, you know, the, the crusty but benign uh, newsman uh, and that somehow, you know, as, as these things usually play out, she would, her love would redeem him or they would have some permanent falling out and that would symbolize the newsman's, you know, final corruption. And then he had this kind Kind of, uh, you know, th- th- just this kind of uh, flash of inspiration to, you know, make the the female lead the the lo- still the love interest, but also make her one of the most corrupt characters, uh, you know, in in the movie. And that was very different, certainly from how I think audiences were used to seeing women uh, portrayed in film at the time. That you know, it was rare enough rare enough in the world to see women in that kind of a position of power uh, and even rarer to see them, uh, you, you know, they the, the, to, to see a kind of character like that who is in no way an idealist who could be just as kind of uh, mercenary as her male peers and as the character, as Christensen kind of talks about herself, I mean, she, she recognizes that she has to be, you know, she has to work twice as hard and be you know, even more, uh, up to task than her male peers. That was certainly the nature of the industry 40 years ago. And in, in many ways, uh, no different today. I mean, you'll see, uh, certainly there are many more, uh, women in, in, in positions of power, but I think that certainly that sense of, you know, having to that, that sort of, uh, you know, imposed pressure of having to be, you know, better than your male colleagues, just to prove that you are worthy of the job. I and mean, that that's, that has not been, uh, you know, solved by any means.
0: And then you sort of have that again in, in *Nightcrawler* with *Red Nevis*, which is a very recent movie. Yeah,
1: I think. I mean, there's a lot of. I, I I don't know this for a fact, but I certainly have a sense from *Nightcrawler*. There are, I think, lots of uh, sort of tips of the hat to uh, to network. I think if you know, certainly if you make if you make a movie today about television news gathering, you can't help but operate. Uh, in the shadow of network, in, in some way, and I think they really did. They certainly Im- embraced it uh, there. Again, having a strong uh, female lead, a woman who will basically, you know, go to any lengths, and and you know. You know, cut a check of any size in order to you know get basically get what it, the story that she wants on you know on her air.
0: Uh, what about Kate Blanchett and *Truth*? I, I haven't seen it myself, but is that uh, sort of the same?
1: I think that that cuts a somewhat different way. Although, I mean, it's true that you're dealing with. I mean, that yes, that that's certainly an example of uh, you know a powerful female producer character. Why did you get into journalism?
0: Curiosity. Why would you get
1: into it? You. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my friend, Dan Rather. I'm the producer. I put the team together. We have Lucy Scott to run point. Colonel Roger Charles worked Abu Ghraib for us. Mike Smith who was a researcher for us back in 2000. What's our next move? I might have something for the election. The president of the United States may
0: have gone AWOL from the military.
1: Journalists in movies tend to be one thing or the other, and in that case, it's more the example of the the crusader for, you know, whatever is the real objective truth of what happened in a situation. At least that's how she's portrayed in the film. It's obviously very uh, – still fairly controversial, and, uh, you know, or I think more or less uh, a certainty that, you know, the – you know what the movie depicts is truth, and what actually happened in real life. I think I think they're still they're two fairly different things.
0: And then another movie coming, Spotlight, which is sort of in itself seeped in in journalism. It's the Boston Globe, the investigative unit, and the director, Tom McCarthy. He played a journalist in David Simon's The Wire, and David Simon, of course, the creator is esteemed journalist, and and you have this tradition and this you know, and and I'm generalizing here, um, but movies hate. TV news. <laughs> I mean, they're often portrayed as cynical and, and, and a cutthroat and, and taking in, you know, all these movies we were talking about before, but not only them, not only broadcast news and network, you have The Truman Show, Hunger Games, Gone Girl. While these newspaper men and women get much more respect than television, would you say and why?
1: In the United States right now, uh, you know, I mean, Spotlight has been, you know, very well uh, reviewed and that seems like it's going to. Do well financially, it's probably going to be a year end awards contender. Whereas uh, truth is not faring very well. And on, on the one hand, I mean, you could, a, in the abstract, say that these are, you know, telling similar stories or at least following similar models, and yet the specifics of them are very different. And, you know, they each present, I would say, fairly positive depictions of the journalists in their movies so again it's not even that isn't the, the sort of defining uh, quality of the film or what's turning audiences on or off I think it, it also has to do with the the, the the stories that the journalists are chasing and do we feel in our heart as audiences are these are these worthwhile uh, stories where did did the real-life journalism turn out to be accurate and influential
0: I know there's things you cannot tell me but also know there's a story here and I think everybody will hear about it. Do you think your paper has the resources to take that on? I do. Do you? The Boston priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. The church found out about it and did nothing. We haven't committed any long-term investigative resources to the case. No, we haven't. And that's the kind of thing your team would do. Spotlight? Guys, listen. Everybody's going to be interested in this. Obviously, the church will fight us very hard.
1: We can certainly feel like the the journalists in Spotlight are heroes. I think people still have, uh, you know, a lot of misgivings about, you know, lionizing people like uh, Dan Rather and Mary Mapes, who are the you know the real life people depicted in in truth. I think that the uh, the uh, the factuality of that story is, uh, you know, again, very different from what is presented in the film.
0: What about what what's sort of the movie trope of the war correspondent?
1: Oh, well, I mean, those those people, uh, you know, I think are by and large un- unassailable. I mean, maybe you can think of examples where there were, uh, you know, again, corrupt war correspondents. But those are people who I High
0: war—maybe Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. Well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but not, but so we not all, corrupt.
1: We all idolize him in a certain way up to the point. We all think he's <laughs> <we're> pretty—I <laughs> don't know if we want to live that life, but it certainly seems it's exotic. Fun uh.
0: for a while.
1: <laughs> right, right. Or you think of, you know, Warren Beatty in, uh, in Red. I mean, you know, in some ways, they're they're very uh, romantic figures. They're people who are, you know, putting themselves in uh, really, you know, dangerous circumstances. They often become part of the story. They see something that you know the wider world hasn't seen yet or doesn't know about, and that always often seems to, to drive them to, you know, want to tell that story to the world, even at the risk of their own lives. And I think, you know, for for journalists, I mean that's that's the sort of the most romantic thing they can think of. They, it, I, you know, I still want to go home to my wife and kid every day. I don't I don't want to die doing my job. But you know, we, we wish we 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 wish the stakes were that high in the uh, the stories that we write and report.
0: Um, You were mentioning uh, before citizen journalism and and, and Twitter and how how we're sort of following the horrific events of Paris on Twitter for the latest updates and such. We haven't seen much of that in, in movies and television yet. That... Sort of citizen journalism. Do you think that's going to be the next thing coming? Oh,
1: I'm sure that it's uh, you know the the next uh, threshold. Uh, I I can't imagine that you know I, I if if I don't want to I don't want to bring the conversation to a halt. If I stopped and thought about it or did some googling, I'm sure I could remember you know some t- at least some TV storylines that you know have to do with you know some uh, miscreant putting some false information out on the internet or on uh, you know some form of social media and that getting you know picked up by uh, a mainstream news outlet. I know, I know that was played within the, in the newsroom in some, in some form. And I think, I think it is, I think it is a genuine, uh, you know, concern. I mean, it is, it is such a powerful tool. And again, it can be, uh, you know, as with sort of, you know, traditional, uh, you know, legacy journalism, uh, that power can either be uh, used well, or can be used uh, poorly. And And, you know, if it's, it still puts the onus on these sort of professional journalism's to professional journalists, excuse me, to sort out what's accurate or inaccurate. And you know, the da- there's a danger for uh, myself and my peers if we use that information uh, sort of willy nilly. And there's danger for the sort of uh, you know the rank and file uh, citizenry that people are suddenly people. You know, they're just typing words into a box and suddenly. You know, with enough uh, retweets or likes, you know, it can be shared in front of millions of people and it makes. Uh, it, you know, it, it maybe puts people in a spotlight in a way that they never intended.
0: I didn't ask you about a subgenre—the sort of comedy journalist movies, everything from Groundhog Day to Anchorman and Trainwreck. Do you see anything? What are they joking about?
1: You know, I think even movies like uh, the Anchorman series that you reference—it's—it's it's interesting. You know, Adam McKay, uh, you know, here in the U.S. is about to. Uh, release a new movie. of His called uh, the Big Short, which is adapted from the Michael Lewis book, and that's also about uh, a really sort of uh, morally derelict moment in American uh, history. That's the you know the beginning of the financial panic, uh, or rather you know the the financial crisis uh, you know here. And it's a movie that is very much a, a comedy, but also one that has a real sort of moral uh, underpinning to it, or a real kind of polemic side to it. And it's just interesting that that you know I think that that was present. Uh, To a certain extent, even in the Anchorman movies, that yes, he's making fun of the sort of vacuousness of the characters that... Will Ferrell and Steve Carell and other actors play and yes it's you know set in the, the sort of 1970s and 80s but there is a point that I think McKay was trying to make even in those films about how you know if you have an anchorman who's literally just reading words off of a teleprompter and has no idea what he's saying or you have a, a weatherman who you know doesn't even have you know the IQ of uh, you know of your shoe uh, that these are dangerous people that they're you know I mean they're they're Comical, but the you know the risks that they're taking and the dangers that they present to their audience uh, you know are, are you know if they if these movies weren't comedies they would be horror films.
0: There was a time when people believed everything they heard on TV. This was an age when only men were allowed to read the news. And one anchor man was more man than the rest. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy. Damn it! Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? Are there any Howard Beals today?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they're they're just about everywhere you look. Certainly on uh, American television. I don't I don't want to grind any uh, you know personal axes here. on because, uh, you know, I have to, I, I still have to do my job every day. I don't want to burn any, any bridges. But I think it's very it's very easy to flip through the dial on, on US TV, especially especially now, especially the moment that we're in, which is so, uh, you know, heightened and, you know, xenophobic. And, you know, they're really, people really are trying to, uh, you know, I think bang the drum for their particular audience. And, and you know, the danger is that, you know, standards are, Standards can just go out the window in, in a moment like this uh, and, and, you know, it's not just something that's happening uh, on American cable. I feel like I see it on American uh, network television uh, just, as, just as much.
0: And if you would have had, you've spent so much time with, with um, Paddy, I mean, reading all his um, diaries and doing this book and what, what do you think he would have said if he'd flipped through TV today? Well, I think I think
1: he'd probably be pretty horrified, and in, in, you know, I mean, I think the moment that we're living in now is sort of eerily similar to what he was going through then. I mean, obviously, we have a, the 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 amount of media that we have at our our fingertips, the number of different channels, uh, you know, is so much greater than than what he had access to. But he, you know, as I was saying earlier, he still felt like you know, he was attuned to so many different problems and crises that just couldn't be solved. And I think, you know, sometimes here in America, and certainly I'm sure elsewhere in the world, it can feel that way sometimes that, you know, whether you look to Europe, or you look to the Middle East, or certainly you look to parts of America, and you see, you know, massive, uh, you know, inequity, you see these, these problems that you just feel that if you're only one person, how can you ever hope uh, to solve them and can they ever be resolved uh, in our lifetimes? And so, just that that just layer upon layer of that, it's it's hard to know what to do as an individual. I think that's I think that's what he was writing to, as much as the idea of you know TV is bad and getting worse. It certainly it certainly feels like that too. Right. But I think I think he was trying to say something a, a little bit even larger than that. And I think he would very much uh, recognize. The moment that we're in today.
0: Thank you so much, Dave. This was so much fun. Oh, it was my
1: pleasure. Thank you. And for- thank
0: you for a great book.
1: Oh, they are very kind to say that. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Dave Itzkoff. You can read his great reporting on TV, film, and culture in the New York Times. And his book about network is called The Making of Network and the Faithful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies. And thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter at PodpopCulture. You can follow me at Jerling Biro and on Facebook. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, music by Karl Borg, and produced by Renee Wieterstedt and myself. I'm Christina Jerling Biro. Thank you.
1: Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon!